Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Greener Thoughts? Supporting Greener Thoughts ensures more giveaways are available with even more exciting prizes, future Greener Thoughts merchandise, and surprises found only on Greener Thoughts. I greatly appreciate and love all the listeners who have tuned in and who support Greener Thoughts by doing good for the planet. One of the many ways I would love your support is by clicking the second lower link in the show notes of this episode. It's the direct support link for Greener Thoughts. Hello everyone. So I just want to start off with the environmental announcements for the podcast episode, namely the two holidays for the beginning of June, uh, to add to the ones that we already covered. So the first is World Oceans Day, which is always on June 8th. And the next is Coral Triangle Day, which is on the following day, June 9th. Headlines from the Hemispheres is the next segment. It's a great segment which we cover environmental news all across the globe. And so there are different uh, news headlines to briefly talk about. The first and uh, quick one is about uh, the pandemic and some information regarding some updates in it. So this was... um, on fizz.org, as in fizz or physical, and so women follow pandemic rules more strictly than men. Uh, so you can check out that website for all the information on this article. And it comes out of Germany, so it comes from the Max Planck uh, Institute for Demo- uh, uh, Demographic Research in Rostock, Germany. I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, so the study was great because it sort of uh, gathered data from all types of different European countries, also uh, the U.S. as well, and compared uh, all of them. And Germans adopted social distancing way before others um, and uh, way before they were even encouraged to do so by officials and authorities. And in the eight countries that were surveyed, Women, more often than not, they adopted preventative behaviors uh, to um, 
you know, not spread the coronavirus uh, more times often than men. And the researchers designed a questionnaire uh, about different aspects of the pandemic. Uh, this included things about the health status of the participants, uh, their, percep- their perception of the threat of the pandemic, how they trusted authorities to deal with the pandemic and information regarding that, uh, social contacts, and um, the propensity to even uh, adopt behaviors to protect themselves from the coronavirus. And then at the time of the evaluation, which was a bit earlier in 2020, more than uh, 65 people in seven uh, European countries, including Germany, Italy, Spain, France, and also the U.S. took part uh, in the research. Number two is about um, a recent uh, spill that happened in Russia. So Russian diesel spill that stained rivers red may have been due to melting permafrost. And that was reported on HuffPost in the environment section. And yes, it's a story out of Russia, so it's a bit far from the U.S., but nonetheless, It had to do with melting um, permafrost because there were 20,000 tons of diesel that leaked in northern Siberia and turned the rivers deep red, um, bloody red, and this was in late May. And this was pretty serious um, because we all know that uh, this was out of the blue. It was uh, circulating as far as like memes all across social media. I know, for example, um, and it, it looked like one of the plagues of Egypt um, with the uh, red um, blood uh, staining of the Nile. It was so you know horrific, all these different colors and you know, it was alarming. And so the disaster happened about late May on the 29th um, at a power plant, uh, first off, in the, the remote um, industrial city of Norsk. And um, that's about 200 miles north of the Arctic Circle. And Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin, he had a few things to say about that, namely because the, uh, the spill was an emergency but he criticized uh, Norsk uh, Nickel, which is the mining conglomerate, which is you know primarily responsible for owning the plant in the incident um, because they didn't alert government officials sooner. And then last but not least, the third headline is about New Zealand and the pandemic. So New Zealanders' attitudes changed after pandemic lockdown. And I checked that out on ScienceDaily.com in the Science News section. So this comes out of the University of Auckland. And there was uh, another uh, brief um, study. Um, But it was an impactful one because it was a longitudinal study, which is one of the uh, types of research studies that is very long in length as far as the number of years um, that it's carried out. And so... um, before in the first weeks of the lockdown in New Zealand, um, before the um, pandemic uh, struck them, uh, residents were reporting that they had increases in mental distress, but higher levels of confidence in the government, science, and the police, um, as well as greater um, uh, bouts of patriotism. And this was according to the American uh, Psychological Association. 
And um, with the data from um, the study, it was a 20-year longitudinal study, and it had 60,000 New Zealanders' um, perceptions of their social attitudes, personalities, health outcomes, so much information. But then the coronavirus pandemic started, and then uh, a little over a thousand people that were in the last group to finalize the survey data um, were asked to participate. So the researchers, they went ahead and just compared data um, before the pandemic struck and then after the uh, lockdown, the initial lockdown started. So they had a lot of information to work with. In pre-lockdown, uh, the group uh, said that 77.1% uh, of participants reported no distress and 16.2% reported moderate distress and 6.6% reported serious distress. And then post a lockdown, that group, 73.5% uh, reported no distress, 21.1% .1 percent reported moderate distress, and then 5.8% reported, 5 reported serious distress. The source for the podcast episode's news comes from Environmental News Network, ENN.com. Uh, and uh, this topic is a topic that's not really covered too much on Greener Thoughts, um, but I think it kind of gets overlooked because um, some may think of it as just a night problem, um, even though uh, light pollution, um, you know, does affect wildlife, but mainly in the, the, the evening or dusk. Um, or, you know, around the dawn sometimes if it's, um, you know, really um, kind of murky and if it's not um, as clear. But it can affect animals and humans alike. And um, it definitely affects different types of uh, animal species, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, light pollution definitely, I think, is, is time to be covered. It is impactful because it, it rears its ugly head again at night. And so um, it affects, you know, people, animals alike, but also our night sky. Our night sky is affected. We can see it, you know, every time we, um, you know, go outside and, you know, go downtown in an urban area or go towards the ocean and it's lit uh, along uh, the, uh, the bank. You know, it's it's lit, um, you know, with skyscrapers that are, you know, surrounding the beaches. We see light pollution. Uh, we see lights that don't need to be on, but somehow they're on. Um, so we can learn so many things about light pollution and some of the common problems of them. And we're going to find out how we can fight uh, light pollution uh, one step at a time in this podcast episode. So let's begin. Light pollution, heavy burden. I thought that that was a succinct title uh, to what we're going to talk about. So I want to start off with an example of an amazing animal um, that is affected by light pollution. A marine turtle. A marine turtle and it's nesting in northern Australia, specifically in the wintertime. These baby turtles are precious. They hatch at night and they crawl from the sand to the sea and they want to make their new home towards the sea. 
but because of unusual brightness around the horizon, um, it makes their travel towards the sea very, very difficult. Um, they use the natural slope of the beach, the, the horizontal line there as their guide, but sometimes with uh, artificial light, it happens to outshine things like the moon, for example, uh, or the uh, light of the sea. Uh, the, the, the light that gets uh, beamed off of it uh, from the moonlight. And so the hatchlings are disoriented after this. They are disoriented and they don't know what to do, uh, where to go. Sometimes they're made vulnerable to predators. They may be just lurking about. Sometimes they are exhausted. Their little uh, hatchling feet, they are uh, just so tired. And Oftentimes, sometimes they end up in traffic on the opposite end, the opposite uh, wrong direction from the sea than where they're supposed to go. So that's just a uh, really um, uh, a devastating example of how light pollution affects those um, animals who are mo more susceptible to it. The, the, the smallest of these, the hatchlings, the, the, those beginning um, life. And so uh, we're going to look at how to change light pollution. And so uh, there's a, a guideline of sorts from Australia uh, where the, the information is primarily from. And they actually made guidelines, national uh, light pollution guidelines for wildlife uh, so that we can protect wildlife. And so they create this framework to assess uh, lights and to ma uh, manage the impacts of artificial uh, or fake um, light that's not natural. So there's six easy steps that anyone can follow to uh, minimize at best uh, light pollution or um, just to get rid of it entirely and it won't compromise your safety or um, any of the animals either. So the first um, guideline is to start with a natural darkness and then add light for a specific purpose. So if you uh, see our artificial light that's being um, used, make sure it's for a specific purpose. Um, so you're only using it for a specific amount of time. It could be a short burst of time, like say something from like a flashlight um, or an outdoor light that you're using for maybe a few minutes, but not hours and hours. Um, so for example, um, needing to find your car keys or even open up your front door, you could use a small amount of light there. Uh, you could use a light from your front porch, um, maybe a flashlight, maybe you have uh, another uh, motion sensor or another light. Um, those are perfect examples, but make sure you just turn them off after you go inside or are done uh, doing what you need to do before you enter uh, your home. Number two is to uh, use smart lighting controls. Now these are pretty nifty and you'll see them a lot of times in modern homes. And so smart control technology is great because it manages the light that you already um, are going to use. You're using controls that make it even easier to um, do one of the first things that we, we, we set out to do. Uh, the guideline, the first guideline that we talked about, uh, you know, starting with natural darkness, the second guideline using smart controls is perfect uh, even for a uh, guideline number one. 
So for guideline number two, with smart controls, they kind of differ. There are so many. You have dimmers, which are amazing. I use dimmers. Uh, motion sensors, I have. I use motion sensors as well. And uh, other ones too, like ones that you can use with a, a press of a button or a control device. These are great because um, they're only activated um, when uh, you know you want to uh, use you know natural light at night only. So something like the motion sensors is perfect. Um, but then the dimmers is great too, especially um, even indoors, but also outdoors as well. So these are great because you get to uh, control the amount of light that you want, how long you want it for. Sometimes timers are perfect. That's a type of uh, smart control device. Um, and so you set you you set the controls as far as uh, how much light you need, how long, um, and you know the variance there. So you have as much control as you want, um, and it's easy peasy. Number three is to keep lights close to the ground, uh, directed and shielded. So this is perfect for outside if you have lights that have a sort of hood on them, um, because light spillage, it, contributed, it contributes to artificial sky glow, which you'll see a lot of times in cities where there's like a haze um, of a fake light of, of, of light um, that's not natural that accumulates um, over all the sources of lights, all those uh, bundles of uh, street lamps and indoor um, uh, lightings and buildings and all types of other places, street signs um, uh, that happen to be illuminated. Uh, all these um, places contribute to uh, light spilling um, and artificial light. So um, to uh, minimize that, make sure that you are buying lights that are somehow uh, close to the ground, as close to the ground as possible, but are uh, hooded or shielded in some way. So it kind of minimizes the escape of our artificial light. Number four is to use uh, the lowest intensity lighting. So this means, um, you know, I'm putting in some... Um, thinking uh, when it comes to lumens over watch over watts so um, uh, lumens is the intensity of the lights that you're using versus watts not watch watts which is all about the energy output that's required uh, to have that uh, light going so uh, energy efficiency is important but uh, something like LEDs which are pretty famous pretty uh, you know, known uh, around people who, you know, use light bulbs. Um, LEDs are great, but they produce two to five times more energy uh, or uh, light as incandescent uh, bulbs for the same amount of energy consumption. So you might as well be using an incandescent bulb uh, for uh, something that you want to still have as much light for, but it doesn't um, compete when it comes to energy consumption. So decide wisely. You have plenty of choices. We'll talk about um, some different bulbs a little bit later, but you don't always have to go with an LED light just because it's an LED light. Now, number five, uh, almost number six, is to, uh, with the guideline here, is to use non-reflective uh, dark colored surfaces. So this is great. So you could use something like 
um, highly polished um, or shiny surfaces. Something that is uh, painted white, for example, is, is fine. Or a, a polished marble. Something that's good at reflecting light, but um, they contribute to um, sky glow uh, more often than not. So using uh, something that's a little bit darker, maybe a gray or toned down browns natural type of colors um, or, or other types of things like that that are better, they won't contribute to a sky glow as much. And then uh, finally, number six is to use lights with reduced or filtered blue, violet, and ultraviolet wavelengths. So um, unfortunately, most animals are sensitive to short wavelength light. So this means blue and violet colors. And so um, with that, short wavelengths, they do a number on animals, uh, melatonin production. And so their sleep is interfered with, their circadian rhythms, um, and also in humans, we have to watch out for those. So uh, when it comes to that, uh, look for a light that has 400 to 500 nanometers, uh, that's optimal. So that's a, a little or no um, wavelength wavelength at all that um uh that uh range there 400 to 500 so uh animals that you may or may not have known about that have sensitivities uh to a light um like that are sharks mosquitoes butterflies cockroaches even seagulls turtles and more animals Light pollution does affect um, us more than we know it, um, and, and also animals too. It affects us both differently, but it affects us none the same. Um, you know, when it comes to the different animals that we've, um, you know, talked about, the mosquitoes and sharks and turtles and, and cockroaches, there are so many other animals too uh, that have um, the ability to be negatively affected because of the light, the excess light that they don't need um, uh, outside. You know, most animals that happen to be, you know, nocturnal, they're not looking to uh, uh, gain uh, access to daylight for, you know, some time. They're active at night. And something like light pollution can really affect their sleeping, uh, sometimes uh, other things like their ability to catch prey because they think that it looks um, a little bit lighter in color, but it's not. And it's because of artificial light or where they're hunting. Um, if light is present um, and it's in abundance, it's affecting those animals um, in several different ways. And, um, you know, currently more than 80% of people on the planet and almost 100% um, in North America and even European um, populations of people, um, they live under light polluted skies. So this means that they live in areas where there is so much light pollution, they can barely see uh, the natural uh, night sky. Um, we've all seen uh, videos of uh, the northern lights or... Um, the, uh, you know, lights near places like the Arctic Circle and, 
um, Alaska and how beautiful they are. But imagine if you could never see them in their natural space because of light pollution. If somehow those spaces were uh, inundated with uh, buildings and, and traffic and cars and skyscrapers and planes and all types of other things, you'd be devastated. I would too. You know, we have to we have to have some some markers of where we're going to put spaces, where we're going to put um, civilization, and in, in places where we're not. Um, and and the fact that we've industrialized so much, the fact that we don't even have um, places where we could get rid of um, light pollution safely, that's a problem. We should have maybe more laws um, on this uh, for sure. You know, the baby turtles don't have to suffer. Um, you know, they're just one example of an animal, but they are a larger part, uh, often overlooked part, because light pollution harms so many different types of wildlife, you know, even in, uh, even uh, under the water, but also on the land. Um, so we have to uh, be considerate of every animal, you know, every small uh, bird or hatchling um, or even every deer. Deer are affected as well. Um, we know how many deer in the headlights um, incidents are, you know, happen. And because of things like traffic and headlights and uh, cars and trucks on the road, you know, deer are even affected. That's a that's a source of light pollution as well. Uh, cars and traffic and and it messing with um, the the lives of deer. So many deer are, are dead um, because they are. Um, in habitats where cars and trucks, transportation um, is circulating, and so they're they're negatively affected. Um, this reminds me a little bit of how uh, wildlife and especially birds um, are affected when um, we as humans we throw apple cores and you know sandwiches and McDonald's and everything else out on the roadways. And birds, they, you know, um, want to go after this food. And sometimes it's in the middle of a highway or a beltway or some other type of street um, or even roadway. And they're killed. And they're killed because of the food that we put there. So we as people have to step back and see how can we um, prevent light pollution? How can we pivot and uh, see uh, how we can create some solutions to save wildlife? Um, because we have to, you know, maybe get rid of um, as many lights as we do, have mandatory uh, shutdowns uh, as far as lights in uh, urban areas, in um, areas that aren't too heavily populated, in places that are. We should be able to have some system where um, maybe there's more dimmers in office spaces. Maybe um, there are timers as far as um, the street lights. You know, if, if no one's around, why are street lights on for six, seven, eight, nine hours uh, until the wee morning hours? Um, I've always been fascinated with why office buildings with no one in them are suddenly. Um, you know, on for hours and hours, as as long as the day's done and the work has been done in those office buildings, why are they continually lit up? Um, I understand the janitors and custodial staff have to do their jobs, but we have to look at the entire picture. You know, I, I bet that those buildings are expensive to maintain, you know, the companies, you know, paying the light bill, you know, that's an expensive bill to have. 
Um, you know, and I don't think anyone ever, you know, just considers that. I, I don't hear that, um, you know, popping up in the daily uh, news of, um, you know, being online. I never see or hear about how light pollution and all these other things, um, you know, contribute to what they, um, you know, make a mess of. Uh, next, I want to briefly talk about um, LEDs and that LEDs, they are sure effective um, at what they do, but uh, in the long run, they do also penetrate deep underwater uh, when it comes to the, the broad spectrum um, that they emit. Um, they emit blue, green, wavelengths, etc. Uh, but they do penetrate underwater. Like LEDs are no joke. They are pretty strong. Um, so when we do purchase LEDs, be mindful of where you put it in the house. If you don't need an LED, it's okay to not use LEDs in, in the entirety on the outside of your house. Um, use it, you know, sparingly. Um, and, and when it comes to um, coastal places, coastal cities, um, coastal areas, um, they also are um, 70% or so of the world's largest cities. They have urban lighting and light pollution, of course. And so um, they also light up underwater. Um, uh, and so that's a problem that we, we have to mitigate somehow. We have to solve. Um, I hope that you uh, learned a bit about light pollution, what it is, uh, who it affects, how many... Um, species we 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 know about you know some of the common animals so we're gonna dive into a few different tips really easy things that you can do um, really hands-on to sort of reduce light pollution um, and so you can start um, you know anytime and uh, really um, take these uh, tips to heart The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things that we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and to protect Mother Earth. This is great because these are some really, really easy uh, adjustments that you can make uh, to your lights that you already have um, and reduce uh, light pollution by starting really, really small. And one of the first tips is cool because you can make it a goal to easily turn off uh, outdoor, indoor lights and just turn off them when you're not using them or not planning to. And when it comes to indoor lighting, for example, uh, it definitely contributes to light pollution. Uh, so uh, the best thing to do is to turn off empty um, uh, office spaces, um, lights, or, you know, if you're in a building at night, that's the perfect time to do it. Just what I was saying before, you know, how office, how uh, empty office buildings are at night uh, and there's no one using them, they should definitely have their lights turned off. So the same thing for you in your home. All the lights, you know, should be turned off, especially before you go to sleep. This will save you, um, you know, maybe distractions of, uh, of waking up, but also on your electric bill, on your energy bill. Definitely. So both indoor and outdoor lights, those can um, be turned off and you can make it a goal or maybe make it a game uh, to turn them off uh, all the time. Maybe if you have kids or little ones or uh, those who, you know, love games or, or you want to um, uh, teach something new to, uh, make it fun by turning off all the lights uh, indoors and out when you're ready to uh, go to bed. 
Number two is to invest in smart controls uh, and LED technology uh, when you're uh, managing your lights remotely. So something like a timer which you can set to uh, effectively turn off the lights at a certain time um, or within a certain time frame or dimmers are perfect as well because you can set the light uh, at high, uh, medium, or low. Uh, maybe you can also get a, an activated motion sensor lighting. Those are perfect for outdoors especially. So if something like a deer or Amazon uh, a worker or uh, you know, a friend or someone is coming to your door, uh, you'll know uh, what that is and it'll uh, help them uh, get to your door or you can, um, it, you can, you know, see them to the door uh, or anything like that. Um, you could also see, you know, if something you know, dangerous potentially is happening uh, in addition to your uh, security system. Uh, you can also control the color of lights that are emitted as well, so that's pretty helpful. With the motion sensor, it's great because um, it senses movement and it lights up when movement is detected. So this is great for even short bursts of energy. It, it uses them um, and so it's not um, as energy um, intensive. You could do something like a clapper, which will effectively turn on and off uh, your lights as well. Now dimmers and timers are great again because they control the light and for a short of a time period as you need and so it's great. You direct and control the light. Number three is to install light shields that will allow for light to uh, turn downward and it will significantly reduce sky glow and direct your light to a specific a targeted area. Uh, these are great um, for uh, outdoor decor and for setting up your outdoors. So your homes, um, maybe a condo or something of that sort. You have shields over the lights themselves that kind of protects them as well from things like hail or rain damage or um, probably snow damage even so. Um, but you can make it um, so that you can put them around maybe a patio, around plants, on your porch, um, or even um, uh, uh, installed in your um, outside uh, home uh, parts itself, like maybe around the garage or around your front door, something where you know that there's going to be some type of traffic um, and you, you want some lights there. Uh, number four is to determine if you want brightness or um, you want a bulb that is energy intensive. So this is great. With the LEDs, you do get that energy efficiency, but something like an incandescent can work as well. Uh, so depending on uh, what type of lights, uh, how often they get used, if you want something that has brightness to them, um, or if you want something that is, again, um, energy um, saving like an LED or other types of bulbs, uh, you don't have to go stir crazy over an LED because there's other types of uh, light bulbs on the market. Number five is to choose um, darker colored paint or materials for your outdoor features. So whether that um, is paint, furniture, building materials, everything uh, you want it to be on a muted or darker 
um, uh, color bases. So it's preventing um, excess light pollution um, and it's it's not disturbing uh, animals or wildlife or anything like that sort. And so you want something that's a little bit richer in color and deeper. And then lastly, number six, tip number six is to buy lighting options that have little, again, or short uh, wavelength. That is 400 to 500 nanometers. So uh, violet or blue light, um, especially, these will help avoid uh, unintended consequences or effects for wildlife. So I would check at somewhere like Lowe's or Home Depot or your um, neighborhood um, home improvement store um, where you can find things like um, a short wavelength lights um, and not necessarily compact fluorescent or LEDs um, because these do have high amounts of uh, short wavelength lights um, but something a little bit different so um, low or even high pressure sodium um, or uh, metal um, halide uh, lights or even halogen light sources. It's great to mix them up. Um, so depending on your needs, it's great to buy again little or uh, no uh, short wavelength um, lights, particularly in the range of 400 to 500 nanometers. quarter of all tweets about climate change are produced by bots. That was the eco fact of the day, and that fact was sourced from the Sierra Club, Sierra Magazine, in the May-June 2020 issue. company spotlight is a really fun time in the greener thoughts program where we talk about amazing environmental brands environmental companies uh, that have tons of products even services that do good for the planet and do good for you uh, I've, I've talked about many, many different types. I have uh, some really great favorites, uh, some ones that were pretty new to me, um, but I eventually uh, love the products and I learn more and more every single time I uh, check out a product and review it and you know have it to use and it's great. I always learn something new. And I'm really, really happy to always talk to you about this new product or even service. Um, I've been reviewing products and services for a bit now since February 2019. And if you always have wanted to let me know about a product or your favorite thing to use that happens to be eco-friendly or you want me to review it, let me know. You know how. You can do it by uh, emailing me at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com or by voice message on Anchor. Uh, and so we're going to dive into this amazing company called Rebel. So Rebel started all the way back in 2011 with Dave Batstone as the founder. And he also is the founder of Not For Sale. And he is the co-founder of Rebel. And it began with a trip 
uh, to Peru. And he wanted to find a sustainable, uh, impactful way to fight human trafficking there. And so there was a Montero circle where he met some amazing entrepreneurs and big change makers. And from that meeting there, he wanted to and did create and cultivate healthy drinks uh, from native grown ingredients uh, from the communities there that they uh, could sustain themselves and be healthier and also economically uh, be better. And this would also eliminate the risk of human trafficking as well. So Rebel, uh, every one of their bottles is a celebration of traditional wisdom refined over millennia to deliver you purity, potency, happiness, and also longevity. Through their elixirs, botanical-inspired drinks, and delightful creations, Rebel showcases the power of organic flavors that will give you the strength you need to power through the day. Rebel donates 2.5% of net sales to Not For Sale, the organization, uh, to support survivors of trafficking, uplift communities, and also prevent their vulnerability to future trafficking. More than $754,000 has been currently donated to Not For Sale. As far as their commitment to sustainability, Rebel products are amazing because uh, Rebel is a certified B Corp. They are gluten-free. They are non-GMO uh, pr- uh, project uh, verified. They um, definitely have no artificial flavors. There is no sugar cane. They are USDA certified organic and they have recyclable packaging. Uh, they have so, so many uh, different products, uh, and so I'm going to talk about uh, a few of them uh, that I can uh, name. So the sparkling um, uh, uh, prebiotic tonic, they have several different flavors. They have their ginger gold sparkling prebiotic tonic. Uh, they also have it in their forest berry uh, flavor. They have it in lemon lime, and they also have it in tropical twist, and all of those are the different sparkling prebiotic tonics. They have their plant-powered super herb uh, elixir. They have the matcha latte super herb, the ashwagandha spicy chai super herb elixir. They have their uh, maca cold brew coffee elixir. Then they have the turmeric golden milk super herb elixir, and they have a few other flavors. And then they have their plant-powered protein elixirs. Try and say that uh, three times. And then they have uh, uh, so many flavors with that as well. They have the banana nut plant protein elixir, the chocolate keto elixir, their cold brew coffee plant protein elixir, their dark chocolate uh, plant protein elixir, their hazelnut chocolate uh, plant protein elixir, and they also have the vanilla flavors of vanilla plant protein elixir and vanilla keto elixir. And then lastly, they have some pretty new flavors uh, under their gold label elixirs. They have their gold label Mayan co- cocoa, they have their gold label vanilla macadamia, and they also have their gold label cinnamon uh, dulce. And all of those are at least uh, $4.25, and they have them in 12 ounces, and those are all U.S. prices uh, in uh, U.S. dollars. So my experience of Rebel products has been a really, really great one because I've tried and love their turmeric golden milk 
a super herb elixir. Now this is way different than any other healthy um, botanical, um, totally out of the park drink I've ever had. It does have a healthier kick because it's not something super sweet. Um, it's not the largest drink I've ever had. It's not like a tea. Um, it's totally different. And I love that. I love that it, uh, you know, donates a percentage of their monies to not for sale. I love that it is so healthy. Um, the fact that it's milky, but it's not thick and, and ultra creamy. That's something, you know, getting used to that so it is definitely a true elixir it has bits of everything and again it's it's golden milk so it's ultra nourishing and it's best probably heated up or maybe at room temperature I didn't have it at room temperature before um, because I, I bought it at Giant and it was pretty cold when I had it and so I just had to taste it. It's beautiful. The packaging, just the ingredients, it feels like you're drinking something uh, made from nature that you're supposed to be drinking. Um, and I would buy it again. I would buy that flavor uh, several times over and the other flavors too, especially the fruity um, flavors. I love uh, fruity type drinks, healthy ones, and this is no different. Um, it's, it's, it's different in the fact that it's, you know, out of the park, but, uh, nonetheless, I would definitely go for this. This is for the healthy guru, the health nut, or the person who really rants about cleanses and being healthy and, you know, packing protein, you know, get you any of these drinks and they will not, um, be let down. This is the perfect drink for someone who wants uh, to uh, have a healthier lifestyle and this is the way to do it. Uh, for more on the origin story um, and video form of Rebel, just go to the website rebbl co. So that's Rebel's website. Um, I love the fact that they have diverse flavors um, and they're perfect for breakfast, definitely, um, or maybe for lunch or afternoon snack. Teens uh, who go crazy for health foods, adults as well would love this too. I gave it five out of five, green thumbs up. The packaging is stellar as well because it's all recyclable and the prices are really, really affordable. With Rebel, they can be found uh, on the website and also online on different places, uh, websites. So you can check out their website again, www.rebel, that's R-E-B-B-L dot C-O. Uh, they're also available on Amazon in limited um, uh, quantities because they're sold in 12 packs and their prices for them range uh, dram uh, dramatically. Um, they also are available at Giant. Mom's Organic Market, Natural Food Stores uh, all over, and also co-ops, Whole Foods, Yes Organic Market, and other fine stores in the U.S. Rebel can be found on the following social media platforms. Uh, Facebook at Rebel, that's R-E-B-B-L, all capitalized. They're also on Instagram at Rebel, R-E-B-B-L, all lowercase. They're on, link they're on LinkedIn at uh, Rebel Inc. R-E-B-B-L Inc. They're on Twitter at Rebel Elixirs. That's R-E-B-B-L Elixirs. Um, and then they're also on YouTube at Rebel, of which I became a recent subscriber. To contact Rebel, all you have to do is go to their website, www.rebbl.co, and go uh, to uh, the bottom of the webpage to check out their address, which is Rebel at uh, 
5900 Hollis Street, H-O-L-L-I-S, and it's uh, Suite L, and then they're in Emeryville, California, zip code 94608, or you can just go to um, their the top of their web page and go to connect with Rebel uh, to message them directly. This has been great learning a bit more about light pollution. I really am glad that you decided to tune in and listen in on uh, the ways that we can fight it together. Uh, it's been great to have you here um, and learning a bit more about it. Uh, be sure to you know maybe share an episode or talk about it at your you know next get together. Um, it'll probably be on Zoom or another platform if you don't really meet in person. But nonetheless, uh, thank you always for tuning in. This is a a, a different, um, you know, topic to entirely talk about, but nonetheless, really, really fun. Um, you know, and I learned some things and I knew some things already, but definitely I had a fun time um, with you all. And so thank you again for uh, coming by and uh, listening. Uh, so it's been great. Uh, thank you again, and I hope to uh, have you uh, in for another podcast episode in the near future. But until then, you know what to do. Please take care of yourselves, and always please take care of the planet. Be well. Bye. Bye.